So about a quarter of a century ago or so, there was a pastor and writer named William, and he was reflecting on his gratitude of a teacher in his life that had inspired him during his formative age to be able to appreciate and pursue literature. And this had a big impact on his life as he became a pastor and a writer, and as you can imagine, words matter. You know, it's often been told to me that a pastor is in some ways in the business of words because that is much of what we do, is we talk, and oftentimes too much, right? (laughs) Don't give me too many amens after that. But this preacher writer was reflecting on this teacher in his life that created this hunger and this passion for literature and really sparked a love for written word that he realized that he never thanked her for the way that she touched his life. Years had gone by, but he decided that he was going to track her down and write her a thank you letter for appreciation. So, To atone for this omission in his life, he writes down this letter thanking her for her influence in his life. A few days go by and he eventually receives a letter in reply from her written in what is obviously a shaky hand. And it says this, My dear Willie, I am now an old lady in my 80s living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely, and seemingly like the last leaf of fall left behind. You will be interested to know, Willie, that I taught school for 50 years, and in all that time, yours is the first note of appreciation I ever received." It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many years. This was a true story. And I think this story shows the importance of being able to express appreciation and gratitude for others and their impact in our lives, especially as teachers, but it also shows the power of words, how words can make a difference in somebody's life. And we're going to take a little bit more time today to specifically talk about that, the importance of teachers as well as the importance and power of words in our life. So to do that, I want us to be in James chapter 3, but I want us to give a little bit of context to what is going on in the Christian movement. You see, after Jesus' death and resurrection and his time period here on earth of 40 days, he ascended back into heaven and the Holy Spirit came on to God's church and it indwelled into the believers. And what was amazing after that is you see the gospel through power of the Holy Spirit start to spread like wildfire in the land. First in the region of Palestine, which we'll show on the screen for you here, it starts to push out into Israel. 
And then it starts to make its way throughout the Roman Empire and even goes further than that. And you read these stories, especially in the book of Acts. And it's amazing because what this is paying testimony to is that God's Word, the good news of the Gospel, is having an impact on people's lives. And people are coming to know the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and being able to receive forgiveness in their life. Reconciliation to God. And as this movement continues to grow, immediately what you see is a need for good leaders and good teachers of God's Word. But herein lies the problem, that even though the Christian movement was exploding and people were getting saved, there was many who were becoming teachers that maybe should not have been teachers, or maybe were not choosing their words wisely. And it's within this context that we could better understand James chapter 3, specifically verse 1. So James 3 verse 1, which we'll have on the screen for you as well if you didn't bring your Bibles today, says this, Not many of you should become Teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You see, I find this incredibly interesting. Because as I had just mentioned moments ago, there became this great need within the church for good teachers to come about and be able to train the saints in Christian living. Because you see, here's, here's the reality. Many of us in this room would consider ourselves as Christians, right? Many of us would believe that one of the most important pursuits in our lives is to be able to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That ultimately, compared to every single other thing that can happen in life, being a believer is the most important thing that we could ever be. Why? Because it's through Jesus and through our faith in Him that we are reconciled and we are restored. But even after we become a Christian, God doesn't just snatch us up and bring us to heaven, does He? Or does He not? No. We're left here on earth. Why? Well, because God wants us to be able to be a light to others. He allows us to continue to live in the pain and the sufferings of this world in order to be a beacon of hope to those who do not have hope. And it's because of that that the church is starting to build up and grow and there's this great need for teachers, but yet James is saying right here, not many of you should become teachers. Now that seems kind of awkward if you ask me. I think that if you're in the middle of a battle, for instance, the last thing you want to do is, is, is be able to say, you know what, we're good, we don't need foot soldiers anymore. 
You need teachers. They needed teachers, but yet James is saying, don't become a teacher. And why is he doing that? Well, because I think James knows the importance of teaching well. And he understands that a teacher will be judged more harshly. Now, I don't take that to light. That affects everybody in this room, but it especially affects me. Why? Well, because in some ways I'm doing that for you right now, am I not? I'm trying to teach to you God's Word, and because of that, according to James, I'm going to be judged more strictly by the words that I say. A few years ago, I got a call from one of my uncles who was living in Florida on my wife's side of the family, and um, he had told me that he was going to be moving out of state of Florida to, in order to take a job, I think, in, in Texas or Arizona at the time. And uh, he had the old family piano. So any, any of you guys have any old family pianos at your home? Okay, so some of you do. Well, this particular piano was in the family since it was brand new. So this piano dated some time back into the 1920s. And if you know anything about an old stand-up piano, is that in the inside of them, they're typically made out of kind of a cast iron type metal that weighs an absolute ton. And he asked me, do you want this piano? And now I'm dealing with the family obligations of, no, I really don't want this piano, but this, this piano has been in our family for almost a hundred years. What will they say if I don't pick it up? So, of course, I say, yeah, sure, I'll be there. So I travel three hours, I, rent, I, I use my dad's work truck, and we, him and I both drive up there to pick up this piano. Now, when we show up to the house, I'm so thankful because, he, uh, because his wife had told us, our aunt had told us, that they had hired some piano movers. So both of my dad and I are just going, we're dodging a bullet, because we look at this thing, and this thing weighs a ton. There's no way that him and I can lift it onto his work van. So 10, 15 minutes uh, go by, and then all of a sudden we hear a knock on the door. So I go to answer it. We're all feeling relieved. I open the door, and then who do I see? The Mickey Mouse Club. It's a whole bunch of kids, and there's one kid. I mean, it, they might as well have some of those fake mustaches that are outside in the shoebox out there, because they all look like they just got lost, and they're little puppies that are trying to find their way home. But I, I especially like that one kid is standing off into the corner holding a clipboard. I have no idea why he has a clipboard, why he needs a clipboard, but at least he's trying to look official. And I just look at my dad, and he looks at me, and we both have that telling look of, oh no, we're in trouble. We're going to have to lift this piano ourselves. The kids didn't bring a dolly. They didn't bring a cart. They didn't bring anything with them. But they made sure to tell us that they were the piano movers. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with trying to earn a hard uh, earn dollar. 
And if anything, I enjoy stories of people that were in situations where they just said, yeah, I could do the job and find a way to, to, to make ends meet for themselves. But it was obvious that these kids were not piano movers and they just, that my aunt ended up being the first sucker that, that would take this ad off of Craigslist. But eventually we get the piano up into the truck and, and it's just all laughs after that. And we're, we're grateful that we got it in. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that we need people that are actually gifted and qualified and trained and who have taken the right amount of time to do the job that is required of them. I don't know about you, but when I have medical things that I need sorted out, it matters to me that I know that my doctor actually went to medical school. Right? Especially some of you who I know who have had heart surgery and the likes. It probably matters for you that your doctor at least has some reputation of fixing hearts. And not just saying, well, I played the game of operation quite well when I was in preschool. <laughs> and this is what James is, is some way trying to get at. There's humor in this, but the reality is, is that we need good teachers to be able to communicate God's Word effectively, because if not, what can end up happening is, is we can end up leading people astray. So it makes sense when James says to not become a teacher, not because he doesn't want people to become teachers, but because he realizes that not everybody takes that burden on with a level of integrity, wisdom, care, willing to train and take the time that it takes in order to be effective. Now, maybe some of you are saying, well, Pastor Kevin, didn't you have a whole entire series on how God uses the unqualified? And that's true. God does use unqualified people to do His work. Because at the end of the day, we're all fallen, broken people in need of God's strength, wisdom, and guidance. But I don't want us to get confused between the difference of God calling us to something and us thinking that, well, we can just do whatever we want. Those are two different things. Let me try to illustrate that a little bit more as a pastor. As a pastor... I've taken the time in my life to not just pursue education, but to pursue training within what I try to do. So, for instance, my first job in a church happened roughly 14 years ago. I pursued education in addition to that, both at the undergraduate and graduate level, and I've tried and I continue to try to train myself up in order for these two things to line up. My influence 
and my competence. Did you hear that? You see, it's a dangerous thing when our influence and our competence don't align. And years ago, before I went to seminary school, I started to realize that my influence in ministry, especially since I was working in a larger church, was much, much higher than my actual competence to be able to train people up in the ways that they should go. So because of that, I realized that, you know what, I need to take more time to be able to educate myself well because I am preaching on matters of eternal destiny and I need to make sure that I'm leading people in the right way. Our influence and our competence need to line up. Now this scares me sometimes because I don't think that every single person out there thinks under these terms. You know, one thing that we're really seeing as kind of a new modern phenomenon is people who are called influencers. Any of you ever heard of this term, especially in social media? They're, they're called social media influencers. What does it take to be a social inf media influencer? Well, nobody really knows what it takes to be a social media influencer, but probably the only qualification to be an influencer in this world is to just be popular to have a certain amount of followers. Well, I don't know about you, but I could be popular for all the wrong reasons. I could be popular just because I do things that are countercultural, but in a negative way. And these people who have been in some ways rightly called influencers are shaping the minds, not just of, of adults, but our youth. And oftentimes I wonder how many of them take the time to think about whether their influence and their competence align. Because I would venture to say that most of them pay little attention to the words that they speak and the impact that that has on the lives of those who are listening to them. You know, it's a scary thing, and in some ways, I think, this concept of being a teacher and not being a teacher and understanding that if you are a teacher, you're going to be judged more harshly should haunt us. It should scare us. If you're a, a teacher and if you have a responsibility of teaching others in, in matters of, of Scripture, Bible, theology, then it especially matters for you. But ultimately, I think that in some ways we are all teachers, are we not? In some ways, there's somebody in our lives, whether we're a parent with children, whether we are a supervisor at a job, or even whether we meet a stranger on the streets, we've all at some point in our lives and will continue to have in our lives influence in, 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 around the people who God places in our lives. And are you taking the time before you speak words into somebody's life to know whether those are actually the words that God deems as 
truth or whether they're just your feelings about a certain subject matter. Don't get me wrong, I think sometimes that is no easy task, but I think we need to be haunted by this. This is something that I don't just take seriously as, as a pastor, but now as a father of two, I think about even more. What kind of witness am I to my own children over my love of Christ? Am I putting the church above my kids? Am I putting this vocation above how I love my wife? Those actions and those words have a way of teaching them. Jesus takes this deathly seriously, and he says in Matthew 18.6, he says this, if anyone causes one of these little ones, though, and he refers to these little ones, these children, but ultimately those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone, so literally this giant millstone that would be meant for crushing grain, to be hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is literally Jesus talking. Jesus is saying that if you are an individual who is deceiving God's people, his children, his daughters and sons, then it is better for you to literally drown yourself than to ever do something like that. Why? Because God takes his word seriously. And the words that we speak will affect people's lives for better or for worse. A former seminary professor of mine, David Bouchard, used to say, the things that you think and say about God are the most important things that you will ever think and say. And I can put that on the screen for you. And take a moment to consider that. The things that you think and say about God are the most important things that you will ever think or say. I believe that he is 100% right in that because ultimately our belief in God frames the rest of how we see the world around us. Which is why I say, have mercy on me, God, have mercy on anyone, especially in the church, who has forsaken the teachings of the gospel and have traded the truth of Christianity for lies. And Lord, help our church, help our denomination, help the church of Jesus Christ globally not enter into error in what God's Word calls us to. And I hate to say it, but there are many denominations and there are many churches, and ours is no different, that are processing things right now that ultimately should not be processed. Because God's Word is clear on matters of, of, of our ethics and our moral behavior that the church is beginning to, unfortunately, some denominations are beginning to erode. And I wonder 
what James would say of them. If he saw some of the things that are happening that, he, that we see today. All right, guys, I'm, I promise I'll get to verse 12. <laughs> verse 2. We all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. You know, I just briefly want to touch on what James is trying to communicate here. And what I think he's trying to say is he's trying to remind his readers that even though as teachers, even though as God's people we are judged more strictly, we also need to understand that each and every single one of us at some point or another in in our past, present, and future stumble. We stumble for different reasons, but ultimately the, and the ways in which we stumble are a sin. And we need to accept that. We need to own that when we, when, when we see it. And we also need to realize that whatever our struggles that we have, whether it's lust, whether it's anger, whether it's greed, feeling like you never have enough, whether it's jealousy, having contempt for what others have in place of what you have, we need to take these thoughts captive. And I think this builds into what James is trying to say next. So let's go ahead and read verse 3 through 7 now, and I'll read it for you. And he says this, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. I want you to hone in on that word of the tongue because that's where we're going to spend most of our our time today for the remainder that we have. So likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the what? The tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here is the heart of what James wants to get to, the tongue. Or in other words, what he is trying to say, the words that are coming out of our mouth. It's no coincidence that James repeatedly wants the believers of God to do what? To make sure that in both word and deed, the things that are coming out of their mouth and the actions that we are taking in life are lining up with what God calls us to. 
James is repeatedly trying to illustrate this point because he wants the church to get it. So he literally comes up with six different illustrations in the course of verses 3 to 12 to help you understand that. The first few that come up are this concept of a horse, then of a ship, then of a fire and animals, and then through verses 9 through 12, and we'll put these on the screen for you, he talks about salt in fresh water, in fig fig trees, which we'll see in a moment here. All of these illustrations, though, are meant to make a point. You see, James knew that in the Greco-Roman world of his day, that they were obsessed with gaining mastery over an animal. They were obsessed of their ability to be able to master the seas, or master an animal that many could not tame. So when he talks about how we're able to create these masteries over all of these things, but the truth is is that many of us and many of you cannot even master our own tongue. He's trying to, in some ways, show the hypocrisy of that. Now, I'm sure if I were to ask everybody in the room if there was a time in their life when they said something they regret, every hand would go up. But I want to take a moment to talk about something in particular, and that's one of the illustrations. He talks about a horse and a horse bit, right? Well, I know many of you know, but for those of you that don't, my wife is an equestrian. She rides horses on a regular basis, and she basically trains people and trains horses and tries to gain mastery over those two things. Well, if you didn't know, my wife has been at this for a long time, and ever since she was a little girl, we'll show a photo, she's been on a horse. And that's a pretty cute little photo, but... Underneath that little smile there is a vicious, bloodthirsty competitor (laughs) that takes no prisoners. Believe it or not, she began competing in elementary school and her parents would show me the ribbons. We have boxes and boxes of ribbons at home of all the competitions that she won. And one of the neat stories, and I got to actually see the home video of this, is when my wife was in elementary school, and because she, she got so good at her own division, they started putting her with the teenagers, and she would still beat them, too. And uh, she's very proud of that. Now, one of the amazing things, though, is how a little tiny girl like that can mount a half-ton animal, and yet be the boss, yet be in control. Now, my wife would say there's more to it than just this, so she was already telling me how I was going to fail at being able to communicate this, because she's a professional, I'm not. But a lot of that influence has to do with what I'm holding right here. Now, this piece of leather here is a bridle, 
And you put this, for any of you cowboys and cowgirls, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. But this is a bridle, and you put this over the head of the horse, and this bottom portion right here is a bit. And this bit goes into the mouth of the horse. And now, wives, don't get any ideas. This does not work on your husbands. But you use this instrument to be able to help control the horse. Now, through this bridle and through this bit, it creates certain little pressure points or signals for the horse to be able to do what you want it to do. And a good rider understands how to properly use this in being able to steer and guide their horse so that they work like one with each other. And I think James bringing up the illustration of a horse in a horse bit is very fitting. Because church, we need to be able to make sure that we have the kind of control over what comes out of our mouth. We need to, in some ways, have a God bit over our mouth so that the words that we are saying are the kinds of words that God wants us to be saying because the harsh reality is is that according to James, our tongues are like a a fire that came from hell. The child adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me is so wrong. It's a lie. And any of you who have, especially on a professional level, worked in a counseling setting, know how damaging words can be in people's lives. I don't even need to ask, but I could confidently say that each of you at a time of your life, maybe even this morning, maybe even this past week, said something that caused you great regret. That when I talk about the tongue, when I talk about words, you know that I'm pointing at you. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to point at anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad for just the purposes of making people feel bad. Don't get me wrong, there is a place in the church and there's a place in our lives where we should feel guilt and we should feel ashamed. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where everybody just wants to feel good and have therapy all day long. That's not healthy. It's okay to feel guilt, if that guilt exposes in us wrongdoing. We don't need to live in that guilt forever, but we do need to recognize that that affords us an opportunity to be able to say, I did something wrong that I need to ask forgiveness for. Paul talks about this regularly in scriptures. But church, we need to understand and respect that words 
are powerful. Words are powerful. James 3, 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You see, what James is trying to do here is he's trying to, in some ways, show the dichotomy of the tongue. The fact that out of the same mouth, we're praising God, right? In the, as, as we had earlier today in our congregational prayer time, what is the first portion of that prayer time? Adoration, where we're doing what? We're praising the Lord, but yet James is hitting the nail on the head. He's pressing the button. He's pushing our pressure point, and he's exposing the fact that we praise the Lord, and yet out of the same mouth we do what? We curse others. And I love that James did this. Because he's exposing the hypocrisy of many of us. And I love that James didn't just say that we curse others, but how did he frame it? He framed it in the fact that we curse, that we praise God, and when we curse others, we're cursing the people who are made in God's image. What is he saying there? Well, quite simply, he's saying that you're praising God, but you're cursing people. Well, guess what? Those people are made in God's image. So when you curse people, who else are you cursing? God. Nail on the head. And James is exposing this hypocrisy and this lack of good character because he doesn't want us to be that way. The Lord does not want us to be that way. And I think the only way we can get out of this kind of rhythm of life is if we take the time to recognize. Church, take the time to recognize that words are powerful. Whether you realize it or not, you have the power to curse people. And look, I know it's October. I'm not talking about hocus-pocus stuff. Although there might be some justification there. But what I mainly am trying to focus in on is that we harm people with our words. We hurt people with our words. And when you do that, you are hurting the image of God. You are hurting your witness. You are hurting your influence in somebody's life. And look, I know the finger points back to me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not immune to this. But I want to be real. Some of you 
and I'm saying this as a pastor in a place of love, I'm friends with some of you on Facebook, and I don't have anybody in mind, and I'm not trying to point anything out in particular, but I've seen some of the words that you guys use on Facebook, some of the things that come out, and not just on social media, and look, I don't want you to feel like you have to unfriend me, okay? (laughs) But I am disappointed. And I say that from love, because I think we are better. And I think God expects more. Because here's the thing, as much as we are able to curse people, what else could we do? We can bless them. Amen. We could bless them. What would things look like, church, if we took the time to strategically bless others with the words that you speak? One of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, talking about words, says this, What is the good of words if they aren't important enough to quarrel over Why do we choose one word more than another? If there isn't any difference between them, if you called a woman a chimpanzee instead of an angel, wouldn't there be a quarrel about a word? If you're not going to argue about words, what are you going to argue about? Are you going to convey your meaning to me by moving your ears? The church... And the heresies always used to fight about words because they are the only thing worth fighting about. We need to choose our words well. And I want you to think and ask yourself, what would things look like if you strategically blessed others with your words? See, I believe that God wants our church, God wants you to tame your tongue and to use your words not for evil but as an instrument of blessing. And that's my only point for today. Use your words to bless others. Words are powerful. And use your words to bless others others. Amen? What would it look like if you took the time to learn the powerful truths of Scripture and used its beauty to impart that truth into the lives of others, to bless those needing to hear a word from the Lord, a word from the Lord on how they are valued by God as his creation, Genesis 1. A word from the Lord that they are loved, 1 John 4, 9 through 10. A word from the Lord that they are forgiven, Psalm 86, 5. A word from the Lord that there will be a day where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, Revelations 21, 4. What would it look like if we as a group of people radically transformed the way that we speak so that we strategically, intentionally bless others with our words. I get it. 
Trust me, I do. It's a tough task. And it's why I think earlier on, James in, in chapter 1, verse 19, offered us the advice to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Because he understood that it's usually in those moments, and if you haven't had a chance to hear that sermon yet, I, I encourage you to listen to it on podcast. Because it's usually in those moments that we say the things that we regret, that we curse people. But God wants us, I firmly believe that God wants us to use our words to speak truth, to bless others who need to be blessed. He wants the people around us to be able to hear truth through our mouths. And here's the thing. Not everybody will respond well. There are certain times where I intend to bless people and I don't get the response that I want. But you let God be the judge. But you just be faithful to doing His work. Amen? Church, I encourage you to take this sermon to heart and to this week figure out a way to bless others through your words. Make a concerted effort this week. Maybe you'll read a Bible verse that is an encouraging Bible verse that talks about how people are loved. Maybe one of the ones that I just listed here, 1 John 4, 9 through 10. Maybe it'll be something else. But take time this week to practice blessing others. Could be a coworker, could be somebody that you're responsible for, could be a spouse, could be a child. I don't know who it is, but I want you to make a double, triple, quadruple effort to bless the people around you through your words. Could you do that for me? Let's pray.